Heavenly Father, we're opening up a new book, uh, this part of your word. Uh, we're, we're trying to let you set the agenda as we go through your word and hear what you have to say to us from it. Father, we pray now that you might help us to see what's there, that you'd help our hearts not just to, not just to have it wash over, but, but, Father, to penetrate deeply, that we might discover new things, whether it's new information or whether it's our heart that grips it at a level that we haven't before, that we might be different people by your life-giving word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are kicking in with Colossians. Now, it is a letter written by a guy named Paul to a place called Colossae. Um, Not exactly colossal. It's not a huge city. It's fairly small in the middle of modern-day Turkey. But Paul's relationship with these guys is a bit different to most of his letters to churches. I don't know if you noticed, but in that first little section that Lachlan read for us, he doesn't mention a visit that he's had with them. Uh, In verse verse 7, we discover that it was a local Colossian, not Paul, who told them that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Epaphras apparently became a Christian somewhere else, and then when he got home, he just told anyone who'd listen. And when Paul does talk about the Colossians, he keeps on mentioning what he's heard about them. So after a while, you start to think, hold on, he has never met these people. He doesn't know them. And yet, despite having never met them, he can say this in verse 3. Whenever I pray, I thank God for you. For, For Paul, these people are like the car park that you find right outside the entrance. Thank you, God. Every time he prays, thank you, God, for these Colossians. Now, see, when I get, I'm praying for you, I sort of tend to, you know, uh, when people say I'm praying for you, it tends to be out of concern for me, <laughs> and that's rightly so. Uh, when these guys get prayed for, it's just all thankfulness. So it's an interesting introduction as we go in here. It's, it's going to be a, a letter written by t- 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 a, a church that seems to be going pretty well from all reports, but also written a letter written to a church that Paul doesn't know. And so he's going to be hitting the big notes. He's going to be saying the things that any church would need to hear because he's not addressing a particular, particular pastoral concern that he, that he knows about because he's been there. He's going to tell them the things that every Christian needs to know. So it might as well be a, church, a letter written to us as a church, to Soul Church, to a Christian church that Paul hasn't met, but he's going to make sure we get the stuff that we need. So let's think of it that way. Let's, let's kick off. Why so thankful? Paul has heard about these Colossians from a guy named Epaphras. Uh, probably Epaphr- Epaphroditus was his full name. Uh, so that's, you get that elsewhere in Scripture. And he has heard of these three things about them. He's heard of their faith and their hope and their love. Paul loves putting these three things together, faith, hope, and love, with the, the greatest of them being love, if you remember the, the 1 Corinthians passage. But here he puts them in a different order than there. And in his thankfulness, he's so thankful that, that those three things are at work in the lives of the Colossian church. He helps us to see how they're related together. So it's all well and good to say, you know, clutch, brakes, and accelerator. But uh, if you know how those three things interact, you'll know a bit more about how the car works. Faith, hope, and love. Now, he starts with faith. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, their trust in him. They're, they're aligning with him themselves with him publicly. Yes, you are the Lord. Not, Caesar's not the highest authority. You are. They've bet everything on Jesus actually being the Christ, the King, faith. Then secondly, he's heard of the love that they have 
for all the saints, for all of God's holy people. You see, Paul's saying this love is interesting. It's not just the other locals, not just each other. Their faith has altered the sense of who they even have allegiance to. Now, it doesn't really work that way with other things. If you decide to join the Lions Club or you decide to become a fan of a certain football club, it doesn't, it doesn't change your whole world of who you have allegiance to. All of a sudden, every other Hawks fan in the world doesn't become your brother or sister. But here, these provincial Turks have taken on the welfare of people from all over the known world into their hearts as something that they care about. And, and enough so that Paul has heard that this is true of them. So it's, it's obviously not just tweeting our thoughts and prayers, because Paul has heard about their love. You don't just get reported to Paul for having great love just for putting up a sympathetic Facebook post. You can see here the theology of the gospel has taken root in their heart. Because I am loyal to Jesus, because I trust him, I've got love for all of those people that Jesus' Father has set apart as his special ones as well. It's changed who they think they are and who they've actually taken into their heart as someone worth loving. Why? Well, that's where the hope comes in. This is where the relationship between the three comes together. In verse 5. In fact, could you throw that up there for us, Gideon? Verse 5. It is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. It's because of what they've got to look forward to. They have heard the news that Jesus has been victorious, conquering heaven and earth, and they are banking on Jesus being the, the final winner. That Jesus will give gifts to his loved ones when he returns. So because they have believed what they have heard, faith, they are banking on that future, hope. Because of that, they love everyone else who is putting their trust in Jesus. Love. You see, heaven... And what is going to be happening in heaven, in, our, in the new creation, is driving what they do on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Friday night. You see, if our thinking about God and our future hope is right, then it drives love for anyone else who shares that hope, wherever they are and however different to us they may be in other ways. They trust what they've heard, faith. They love everyone else who shares that faith, because, because that just makes sense if your hope is in a future life with those people. They're your brothers and sisters who you're going to be with forever. So the gospel seems to be bearing fruit among these Colossians. Uh, it's growing, we see there. Uh, where is that? Down in verse 6 and 7. Um, it's not an insular love that looks inwards. It, it's, it's looking out to be generous with that love and to bring more and more people into it. As they love and speak the truth... More people are being changed by this news that Jesus is king. And not just in the Colossian church. You see, once you get down to verse 6, if you could jump forward one slide for us. Thanks, Gideon. Um, this is just what the gospel does. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just like amongst them, it was bearing fruit and growing. It's, it's, it's like if you bought a McDonald's franchise. I have no plans on buying a McDonald's franchise. But if you did, then no matter how tragically awful they are, you will serve Big Macs. Correct? You can't not serve a Big Mac if you're a McDonald's franchise. That's kind of just that's how it works. And when the gospel has its effect, it bears fruit in the lives of the people who trust it, and it grows. That's what the message just does. It just, it, just, it just goes with it. That's what the gospel does wherever it is. So my question to you is, what do you expect as a Christian? 
Like, I just wonder, how, maybe for some of us, we've lost our hope of changing. Have you lost your hope of growing in, as in your faith? Maybe it's been a while and you're stuck in sin or, or you've just lost hope and just not progressing. Well, Christian brother and sister, reset your expectations this afternoon. You can grow. You can change. You can bear fruit. In fact, if the gospel is working in you, it's inevitable in God's timing. If you're feeling stuck and helpless and hopeless like that, come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders. Maybe you're feeling really awkward because you really don't want to change. See, for some of us, it'll actually be more of that. Not so much, I want to change desperately but can't, but actually, I kind of, life's okay. I don't really want to grow too much more to, into this crazy Christianity thing. Not sure, that would be hard. I've kind of got life sorted and that would be inconvenient. Life's hard enough as it is. You just don't have the energy for growing. Again, come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the elders and we'll talk about Jesus together and we will pray together. And if that's you and you think, I don't know if I've got the energy for that, wait till the end of the talk. We'll get there in the end of the passage. But we are as Christians, because it is the gospel that's made us who we are, we're to expect to live differently and expect people to also become Christians. Because it's what the gospel does in Colossae and all over the world. Now, the Colossians happen to learn it from Epaphras. Epaphroditus, full name, Epaphras to his mates like Paul, probably Paphy or something like that to his mum. And and it didn't matter who, but it didn't matter who this gospel came from as long as it came in truth, which you see there at the end of verse 6, as long as it came in truth. You see, you've got this great and famous apostle Paul. He's writing to to the Colossians to reassure the Colossians that Epaphras is a part of that same universe-wide organization that Jesus is creating. Uh, he's a beloved fellow worker. You, your church is not substandard because you didn't have Paul found it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you guys. Sh- sure, you might remember his, you might remember him as like little Pathy from down the road, right? But he's no less able to share a world-changing gospel just because he's not me. Just because he's not sent directly by Jesus. Sure, it came from a local, but it's a genuine product. Legitimate, life-changing world-changing gospel, which must have been so encouraging for them. They must, you know, if you're a, you're a young Christian in a world where Christianity is not even a thing, and to hear the one who has witnessed the resurrected Jesus say, it is so encouraging because I look at you and I see the same faith that I see when I preach the gospel everywhere. Beautiful encouragement. Can you see what Paul's doing here in this section? He wants them to know that all is well. Why does he tell them all his reason that he's thanking God for them? Verse 7, because the source of your information is faithful. Verse 6, the gospel that he shared with you is true. Verse 6, again, it's producing exactly what it's meant to. And the whole world over, you are not wasting your time. It matters what's happening amongst you. And you have a thoroughly good faith worth thanking God for. I do, says Paul. And I think that's an example we could follow. I've heard you, I've heard you, I've heard you soul people. I've heard you gossiping. I've heard you gossiping very nice and sweet things about each other behind each other's backs. Plenty of people will talk up other people at soul to me about how lovely they are or how they've served them in this way or how kind they've been. Well, Paul writes it to their faces. I see in you the fruit of the gospel. I see in you love, he writes to the Colossians. 
I've heard that from Epaphras. Why don't we do the same for each other? I'm not saying that we don't, but we could do this more. This week, you could take a moment to encourage someone else that you see love working out in their words or in their deeds. Or like Paul, you could just make sure that you're thanking God for them in your prayers. Maybe it's someone who's teaching your child or teaching someone else's child at Little Souls. I've actually seen people in churches get jealous or even downcast when they see someone else's spiritual fruitfulness. Have you ever had that little twinge? Someone's going really good as a Christian. They look like they're kicking butt. God is doing great things through them. And it's easier to feel down about that because, oh, maybe I'm not, than it is to celebrate the good thing God is doing in them. A gospel heart celebrates another Christian's going well. Even when, especially when, we see someone exceed our faithfulness or our fruitfulness. Praise God for that. This is good. Let's have gospel hearts. All right, uh, next point. Paul thanked God for the Colossians in his prayers, but now the fact that they were going well didn't stop him from asking for more. He asks here. If you flick back to the ask slide for me. Thanks, Gideon. Uh, that's what we see in verses 9 and onwards. He says, From the day I heard about you guys, we have not stopped praying for more. Don't stop praying for the person who looks like they're going well. They need to grow too. See, growth isn't something for the people who think of themselves as lesser or like I'm behind the game, or I'm behind the eight ball. That should be our normal. We should be trying to get comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling of pushing into new ground. You get that? We should get comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling of pushing into new ground. When you're thinking, whoa, 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 this feels a bit much, this is a little bit scary, this is a little outside of my comfort zone, sometimes we need to say to our hearts in that moment, yeah, that probably means we're doing it right. We're growing, stepping outside of our comfort zone. We should be praying that this happens. Now, I've got to say, I am not like this. This is not me by nature. I love my comfort zone. I love finding something that I'm not so bad at and doing it, and then no one can criticize me because I'm like, yeah, I did, I did okay at that thing. But Paul wants more for the Colossians than sitting with what you have. He wants them to know their God more deeply so that they will walk in ways that please him. He wants them to know that they can bring their God joy so that they'll know their God more deeply. Did you hear that? He wants them to know their God more deeply. That's what he prays for them in uh, verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they'll walk in ways that please him in verse 10, so that they'll know their God more deeply in the end of verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, the logic almost sounds circular here. Now, before Melissa and I got married, we did some pre-marriage counselling, right? And we had this book, and I don't know if you remember it, Mel, but it's pages and pages of questions at the end of every single chapter of this book, like pages of questions. And by the end of it, you know, I've heard Melissa answer like, I think it was 50 questions at least per chapter. So we're going through the ringer. I, I, I know this girl. I know her really, really well. I, I thought we knew each other really well. <laughs> and then we had 17 years of marriage. Yeah. You see, we discussed everything in that book. But now, oh gee, I have a far greater joy in my relationship with Mel than I did back then, even in the, the, the heady going out days. A far deeper knowledge. 
it's not primarily because there's any facts that have changed about her. She still has the same family of origin. I still have the same silly tendencies. But we've walked the road together. We've done time. Not like that. We've done time in connection, right? You know, so there's something different. We've talked, we've fought, we've made up, we've laughed, we've hung out, we've prayed for each other when the other person's faith just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't cope and we needed to be there for the other person. We've, we've done lots. And that experience means that we now know each other in a way we could never have before. Now, Paul's prayer is that we would know our God, get to know our God, so that we could walk in ways that will please him and bring greater connection between us so that we'll know what to do and what not to do, that we'll be good followers, good trusters of him, that, that we'll, we'll know that he's reliable because his word tells us that he is reliable and we'll trust him just because he says so. But think about it. After 50 years of putting that into practice, what will your relationship with him be like then? We'll know he's not reliable, not just because he said so, but also because he's walked with us for those years. Um, you may have heard of this bloke. Uh, he's got a hilarious name called Polycarp. Anyone heard of Polycarp? So early Christian um, martyr. He's one of the earliest Christians we know from a non-biblical source, right? Uh, possibly the earliest. And he was arrested by the Roman governor and threatened with death unless he renounced Jesus. We'll kill you if you don't um, deny Jesus. Now, the account is ridiculously over-embellished to the point of being clearly not true in certain bits. It's, it's, it's a crazy story. But in these simple words that are reported of him, something rings so true of an older Christian. He says here, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? Know your God so that you'll be able to walk with him so you'll know your God. So, what about now? For some of us, we haven't had the longer life. We haven't had the walk with Jesus so long yet. And we don't know our God so well. Or maybe just because of damage been done to you and sadness and, 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 and hurt, your faith feels much more in your head than in, than in a history of heart. How can we move forward? How do we get to have a story like that? How do you get a friendship where you can have the joy of knowing that you're pleasing God and are walking with him? Well, if, if, if Paul's first section of Colossians is anything to go by, we, we, we pray. We pray. We beg God. We ask God. It's what Paul did because God is the generous giver. If you hunger for God's friendship, be persistent in prayer for it. Pray that you'll know God more. God, say, God, I, I want to I know this. I want to know you. I want to know what it's like to be with you. Pray that you'll be strengthened by him to deal with that growth. Because like I said, it's when we step out. The growth means stepping out into an uncomfortable zone. Pray that you'll have the power. This is what Paul prays for them. That they will have, where are we? That they will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. No, not according to how much strength and faith I've got, but according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. We ask God to strengthen us to have the endurance and the patience to keep it up. We need him and his strength. Paul says, it models for us here, asking for that. And ask our others to pray that for you too. Like the Colossians, maybe, maybe you might need a Paul to be praying for you as well. We all do.
Now, look, God is gloriously mighty. Uh, he can change things about you, whether you think that or not. The way that you think even, uh, what you think of even as possible in your Christian life, his power is able to give you endurance and patience with joy. So we go to him in prayer and faith. Secondly, it might take a willingness to grow and change. You see, if we want spiritual change, it'll, it means doing something different. Kind of by definition, right? You want change, it has, something has to change. And it might mean difficult things for us. It might mean being more emotionally vulnerable. It might mean going along with an older Christian suggestion that you think is dumb. It might mean making changes in your life to align with God's will as is revealed in the Scriptures. But be prepared to make some. If you want to change in your relationship with God, be prepared to make some changes to grow. And thirdly, we're going to finish up doing what Paul does in the finish of his prayer here. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. See, Paul finishes his encouragement by telling these young Colossian Christians what actually happened to them when they believed the gospel. They have been, when you, when you trusted in Jesus, you were rescued from prison, he says, and you have been given a premium membership, a new citizenship, a new passport. Now, could you throw up verses 12 to 14 for us, Gideon? Thanks so much, brother. Excellent. All right. The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, the holy ones in light, his holy people. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, sometimes to, to get a verse of the Bible, it helps to think about what it can't mean. Like the opposite. Like what would be the impossible application of this verse? You know, like what, what would it be wrong to possibly walk out of this building now still thinking? And I think one of the impossible applications of those couple of verses is you can't possibly walk away thinking that your faith is a bit of a nothing. That the fact that you follow Jesus... Not such a big deal. Nothing much happened when I became a Christian. Doesn't make much of a difference in my life. You can't walk away from these verses thinking that this world is just protons, neutrons, electrons, and it doesn't really matter what you believe or do. When Epaphras rocked up and told the Colossians about Jesus, they became different people. I'm getting excited. They, they became different people. They were transferred out of slavery in darkness and in sin into other things to the freedom of knowing that they are loved favoured grace and peace from God. Do you remember who was the person who first told you the gospel? Who might it have been? Even if you don't remember, do you, do you, do you, like, you, know, do you remember that dad did tell me a bit about Jesus one time or mum did read me that Bible verse or that person who evangelised you at uni? Your world changed when you came to trust that message. Who your master is changed. Whether you were on the right side with God and friends with him changed. See, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need to be helped to see that as reality. I look at life and, and I see the jobs I've got to do today and the stress of that. I see the parking ticket that I have to pay because I got back to my car after your ridiculously short Hobart inner city parking meters expired. And then I saw the other parking ticket that I have to pay because I'm an idiot and I didn't realise that the park was metered and I decided I just didn't pay it. 
I didn't put the thing on because I just didn't see the thing. I see the mess in my house that I haven't cleaned up that I have to clean up. I see the friends that I love who are just trying to get through in their lives. And it's easy to think, to feel that all this Christian stuff somehow is just something else on top of that or another bit of life. Our, 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 our worldview of our world is not that everything is spiritual and that every part of our life is spiritual and God is in and amongst everything and every bit of it is all worship and life spiritual. It's, it, it separates that stuff out and says that, you know, Worship and, and, and spirituality and stuff, it's a sort of a nice little comforting thing on the side if, that some people might like to pick up. Reality is reality. This religion stuff is just less real. And Paul will not have it. His prayers tell us the opposite. Tells us that the mind that does not know Jesus is trapped in darkness. That, that, that the primary identity of every person is either an enslaved member of the kingdom of darkness or a freed member of the kingdom of the sun in light. And that while we might subjectively experience that freedom more on some days and less on other days, the reality is no less real for our inability to perceive it. Which is why we need that empowering from God to be able to see the world spiritually to have spiritual insight, to see the world through his eyes, to see what's really going on. And that's why we need his strengthening for endurance and patience, for the days when our feelings betray us and all that's left is our conviction, our, our commitment that Jesus died for me and that's a love I'm not willing to be unfaithful to. I'm just going to hang on to it by the barest sliver that I've got. See, if you fall into the hole of viewing the world through the world's eyes instead of through the contact lenses of Scripture like I did this week, and I was rebuked by this passage. Well, if that's you, let the love and prayers of your family here in this church and across Hobart and across the world nourish your soul. Drink up those songs that we sang, the songs that remind you of the truth of who God is and that he loves you, that, that Jesus died for you because he wanted to show you an outrageous amount of love and favour just on you. Grace. He wanted to give you a warmth that doesn't match your actions and attitudes towards him. Drink up the prayers of everyone else here. What we're going to do in a minute is we're going to have communion together. A straight sort of in the middle of the end of the sermon kind of thing, right? And I want you maybe to take a minute, and we won't do this sort of in groups or anything, but just silently to pray for each other. Pray for the person next to you. Pray for the person either side of you. And to feel the power of the love of God's holy people for each other. For you. As the Colossians' heart were warmed by Paul's prayers for them, because his heart was warmed by their love for the, for the church, we're going to pray together for each other. Look, in this world there are many cares. Many embarrassments we're trying to avoid, um, ways that we want to measure up with work, um, ways that we want to measure up socially, many sins that can entangle us, and maybe sin has entangled up you this week. But all of those different cares, brothers and sisters, the final bit of this passage, you have been freed from them. You have been freed from that. They do not have any say over who you are or where you're going. God says so here in verse 14 in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, that word there is the word of, a, of someone who has got up some money and they've put money down on the slave block and purchased the slave's freedom. They've been redeemed and they're gone. 
they, they, they previously were, were subject to whatever their master said they do, and now all of a sudden they can do whatever they want. They've been purchased for freedom. Whether you're feeling it or not, God says in verse 14 that you have been freed, redeemed. You, you are a once slave walking away now with your freedom. Maybe even for the first time if you're here today and thinking, actually, maybe I want to follow Jesus. All those cares that grip our minds and accuse us, the sin that assaults our soul, Jesus has left those things behind. He has forgiven them. Uh, that's what the word forgive means. I don't know if you've ever seen, like, have you ever um, read the Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress and there's a scene where he walks up the hill of Calvary and this burden that's been on his back just sort of rips off and falls and just leak, gets left behind. Like, you know, like a kid's water bottle that left behind at a playground that you visited that time, never to ever be seen again in the history of humanity or their hat or their shoes. Or... See, when a kid leaves something behind, the parents got Buckley's of finding it. That's what God's done without sin. It's been forgiven. It's been left behind. It's not going back to it. And you can leave your sin behind too, right now. We're going to ask God to forgive our sins and we're going to thank him for doing that, for dying on a cross for us.